Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Would you give it up for our friend, Pastor Ken Clater? Hey, what's up, everybody? Good morning. Good morning. I want you to know that it's cold here. I don't know if you know that or not. It is cold here. We are from Florida. But um, I came in last night, and this is just useless information, completely useless information. I graduated from West Virginia University back in 2000 and happened uh, to walk into a restaurant and watch you all's Kansas Jayhawks beating up on my West Virginia Mountaineers. But I still want to say go Mountaineers and go Gators. So glad to be here with you guys tonight. Um, or today, this morning. I don't know what time it is. Daylight savings got me messed up. But um, man, you all have such a great church. You know, like he said, I've been stalking you guys for many years on Instagram. And I'm excited about your passion for Jesus, your passion in worship, multiple locations, and what God is doing through you all here. And I want to ask you to do this. Never take what you're a part of for granted. Somebody say amen. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you all have great lead pastors. You really do. Um, Pastor Justin and Marissa, they are just, come on, give them a big round of applause. I say that because, you know, the Bible says that let the elder who rules well be counted worthy of double honor. And I wanted to start off today by asking you this. I believe God might have sent me all the way from Florida just to get this one line to you today. I want to ask you to be modern day Aaron and hers. Do you know who Aaron and her was in the Bible? The Bible talks about Moses. Y'all know who Moses was, right? Okay. Moses, the Bible says that when his hands was lifted up like this, Israel won in battle. But there was a time where he began to get tired and his hands began to go down and the whole nation began to lose in battle. So Aaron and Hur decided to come up behind Moses. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. And undergird him and lift up his arms so that he wouldn't be tired. And when they did that, the whole nation won. I want to... <laughs> I want to challenge you to be modern-day Aaron and Hurd to get behind your pastors, to pray for them daily. Come on, somebody, to speak well of them, to encourage them often, and to be easy to lead. I've been pastoring now for 11 years, and sometimes God's precious people can be hard to lead. But if you could get behind your pastors and let them know, I'm with you, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm encouraging you, I believe the whole church will win. Not only that, this church will change this city. Anybody believe that today? Anyway, very quickly by uh, means of introduction, I'm Pastor Ken. Like he said, I pastor a life-giving church in Gainesville, Florida called Alive Church. We're not dead, we're alive. A church alive is worth the drive. You know, we, we got our kinds of sayings that we say. And I've been married for 18 years to a beautiful woman. Um, it's been the best 16 and a half years of my life. <laughs> Y'all do the math. You know, the first year, year and a half, it was absolutely horrible. I was arrogant. I really was. I was selfish. I was prideful. And before you get upset with me, she went much better herself. Um, very quick story. She grew up in the projects um, in, in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Um, she's half black, half white. Um, went through everything that you could experience growing up in poverty, sexual abuse, phys physical abuse, verbal abuse. So when we met, she had been diagnosed depressed for 10 years. And um, so after we met, um, I wanted to be ambitious and go take over the world, and she wanted to sleep all day. And that was a problem in our marriage. And so um, she got saved a little bit after we met, and then a couple years go by, she gets spirit-filled. After being spirit-filled, three months, she learned that there was power in her words. So she began to look herself in the mirror and say that she was fearfully and wonderfully made, that she was beautiful on the inside and outside. Even when she didn't believe it, she began to declare God's word over her life. 
And uh, she spoke to the spirit of depression, and she began to say, for three months, depression, you are underneath my feet, for I have the joy of the Lord. No lie. Three months, um, the spirit of depression left her. She's been free for 16 years. No more therapy, no more medication. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap. Don't just pity Pat. That's good news today. Because when Jesus is here, anything can happen. So anyway, we've been married, and we have three beautiful children. My youngest, his name is Kenny. He's six years old. He's a chip off the old block, a small chip, but he's the life of the party. He's fun. And then I have a a daughter who's eight years old. Her name is Charity, and uh, she's into gymnastics and ballet and all that kind of stuff. And I brought my oldest with me today. Her name is Hannah, and she'll be 13 in May. Hannah, would you just stand up real quick and kind of wave at everybody so everybody can see how gorgeous and beautiful this is her first ministry trip with dad, okay? So it's like she's, I'm, I'm traveling a whole lot more and we're deciding to homeschool our kids. And so I said, okay, you're going to start going with me. And so this is her first. So she will always be able to look back and Lawrence, Kansas will have a special place in her heart. This is the first time she went with dad on the road. Give it up one more time for my daughter, Hannah. We love you. God bless you. All right. Are you all ready for the word of God today? All right, let's, let's get into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in this auditorium, for the wonderful people that have pressed through regardless of daylight savings time. We want to meet you today. We want to know you better so that we can serve you more faithfully. So Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts, in our minds. Speak to us that we can leave this place transformed, different, to be able to serve you more faithfully. In Jesus' wonderful name, everybody say amen. I want to come out of Matthew chapter number 14. So if you have a Bible, please go there. Matthew 14. And uh, today we're on part two of a series Pastor Justin began last week called Lost at Sea. Everybody say Lost at Sea. And uh, my subtopic for today is living outside of your comfort zone. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat Praise God for slides. And go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now, don't miss this part because he wanted to get alone to pray a little bit. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went up to them walking on the lake. Okay, this is Jesus. He's literally walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he called him, and he said, You a little faith, why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the winds died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, do you all spend personal time with God? Anybody have devotion time? I hope you do. In your personal time with God, hopefully you do that daily, I want to encourage you to go and read chapter 13 and 14. I believe it's some of the best reading in the Bible. This is just my opinion. Chapter 13, if you go home and read it, it starts off talking about the parable of the sowers. Then it talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Then it talks about the parable of the mustard seed. Then in chapter 14, something, a a tragedy occurs. Jesus' first cousin named John the Baptist 
is brutally murdered in prison. He's actually beheaded. So chapter 14 begins kind of talking about this whole event. And Jesus hears that John is beheaded in prison, and he wants to go somewhere and spend some time with, with God and just kind of work these things out. Have you ever had a family member that might have died unexpectedly, and you just need to work some things out? And so this is where Jesus is, like emotionally and mentally, okay? And then chapter 14 um, talks about how, you know, he, he's feeding these people, and, all, and he's basically healing people all day. And as I read this, I kind of think about me as a leader, and maybe yourself as well, what do you do when tragedy hits? He didn't get focused on his pain or his problem. Jesus was still moved with compassion. He wanted to go away for a season and just do his own thing. I don't know if you've ever been there before or not. You know, I've been pastoring for a while, and sometimes people go through tragedy, and instead of going towards God, they go away from God, they go away from the church. I want you to know that's the exact opposite of what you should do. Jesus didn't do that. He just lost his first cousin. Somebody was beheaded in his family. He wanted to go and grieve for a moment, but the next morning, do you know where he was? He was healing all the sick. All day long, the Bible says, he healed the sick all day long. And this is where the infamous story comes about, where at the end of the day, he says, man, these people are like sheep with no shepherd. He says, does anybody got some food so we can feed these people? This little boy steps up with two fish and five loaves of bread. I mean, he went to Long John Silver's, I guess, that night. (laughs) And Jesus, even though he had a tragedy in his life, even though he had some problems in his life, he still allowed the love of God on the inside of him to move him out of his pain. And he took two fish and five loaves of bread and he fed 5,000 men, not including women or children. 20,000 people fed after he's had a hard day. And you would think by the end of the day, everything would be okay. The Bible then begins to talk about how he put his disciples in the boat. And then as they're going out in the boat, He wants to go and pray now. He's like, man, I lost John yesterday. I tried to pray, wasn't able to do it. I'm up all day long healing the sick. I took two fish, five loaves of bread, fed 20,000 people. Now I'm tired. I don't know if you've ever worked a long day. He's tired. He's like, I'm going to put these people in the boat so I can go be alone with my father. They get into the middle of the sea, and there's this storm, and he has to come out of prayer again. And here's Jesus walking on the water to save these disciples. And I want to go back to one scripture in Matthew chapter 14 and just watch what Peter says. He says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I don't believe the greatest miracle is Jesus walking on the water. I believe the greatest miracle is Peter walking on the water. Come on, somebody. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. And he says, come. And how many of you all know you only need one word from God? Sometimes you don't need a sentence from God. You don't need a short story or a novel. You, don't, you just need one word from God. You're healed. You got breakthrough. You're forgiven. You just need one word from God. Saved. Sometimes we need God to speak to us so much. You just need a word today. And I believe that if you can get one word from God today, that your life will never be the same again. And Peter stepped out on this one word, and that's all that faith is. When the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight, it means that we're walking on his word. I believe, I believe I'm healed even when I have sickness. I believe I have joy even when I'm depressed. Let the weak say I'm strong. He said, come, and Peter got down out of the boat, out of the boat. We're talking about boats. And he walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the winds, he was afraid, and he began to sink and said, Lord, Lord, save me. Here's a key statement. We all have boats in our lives. But there are times that you have to get out of the boat to be who God's called you to be. Would the church say amen? Now, what does the boat represent here? Write this down if you're a note taker. It represents self-preservation. 
Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're trying to do you without the help of God? <laughs> I mean, you, you got your own plans for your life, even though the Bible says he give wisdom liberally to anybody who asks, but you kind of got your whole thing. I'm going to get a degree, and I'm going to move over here, and I'm going to get a job over here. Or better yet, you're in a relationship with somebody. Maybe you've went through a divorce, or you've, you've tried the whole marriage thing before, but now you just you don't want to do the whole marriage thing. You just want to try it before you buy it. And what does that mean? We're doing it our way instead of God's way. It's self-preservation. So here they are in the boat, and like I know Jesus is talking about all this come stuff, but I think the boat is safe. What the boat represents is it represents our last season. Jesus is the one that put his disciples into the boat, and now he's the one that's telling Peter to get out of the boat. What does that mean? Don't, don't just focus on what Jesus told you to do last year. Focus on what he's telling you to do right here, right now. How many of y'all know we need a new word? We need a refreshed word. We need to hear it. We need, to, we need new mercies today. What God told you to do five years ago might not be what he's telling you to do next year. Come on, somebody. What does the boat represent? It represents our comfort zone. Everybody say my comfort zone. How many of you all would admit that you have a comfort zone? You got a certain place you like to sit in church with your latte. You know how you do. You got your comfort zone. And what is the boat? The boat is safe. It's kind of dry in the boat. You know, everybody else is in the boat. And sometimes when Jesus calls you out of the boat, you got to get away from all the other people that want to sit in the boat. See, miracles don't happen in the boat. The boat is a place, you know, it's, 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 it's a place that it looks like it's safe. It's looked like that's where I'm supposed to be. And the amazing thing about God is that he calls you out of your comfort zone to be in the destiny zone of your life. Here's a key statement. Miracles don't happen inside the boat. They happen when you get out of your comfort zone. Revival doesn't happen in the boat. People pray for revival. Revival will mess your whole church up because it will make you so uncomfortable that you'll start doing things that you say, well, we just don't do that here. No, but it's amazing what God does when he gets the church out of its comfort zone. Write this down if you can. Your destiny zone and your comfort zone is at opposite ends of the spectrum. Did you know that? Your, your comfort zone is over here, but your destiny zone is over here. And in order for you to walk into your destiny zone, which is simply the place that God has called you to be, you got to leave out of your comfort zone. There's basically three threes that will basically eradicate your calling. It's convenience, complacency, and comfortability. And sometimes we just need things to be too convenient. Don't let pastor move to church too far. I have to drive. Lord Jesus. I was in India preaching, and people walked for days just to get to a meeting. And then they would be two hours of praise and worship. I couldn't believe it. Two hours of praise and worship. Are you crazy? We, we need it too convenient here, but we want a supernatural breakthrough. Complacency will mess up your call. Comfortability, your, your destiny zone and your comfort zone are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Tabitha and I, you know, we were living in Washington, D.C., and um, I, I never thought I was going to be a pastor. I was in business. I graduated from West Virginia University with a business degree. I went right into real estate. I built a great brokerage, about 40 people, had about $5 million of investments, and we were, we were like them people on HGTV. I mean, we were just flipping houses and things. And I knew I had a call of God on my life, but I didn't know what it was, so I decided to get into Bible school. And it was a three-year program. In the second year, we was doing this thing called my call to ministry. And I said, God, and I, and I always kind of had this natural thing to be in Florida. I said, God, and I was in Washington, D.C., five million people. I said, God, if you've called me to Florida, where would it be? He said, Gainesville. And I said, where? He said, Gainesville. I had to Google it to figure out where it was. You know where Gainesville is, brother? Like, go Gators, yeah. <laughs> and what did we do? We liquidated all of, our re our, our, all of our real estate. We left all of our family and friends and moved to a city we didn't know one person. And we had Bible studies in our home, water baptizing people in our swimming pool, praise team practice in our garage, getting the police called on us. All of that was completely out of my comfort zone. I had to get out of the boat 
to accomplish my destiny. And over the last 10 years, I, I, don't want, I don't want you to think that it's been easy. I mean, we've been battered, we've been bruised, we've been broken and all those things. But in 10 years, we've seen 18,000 decisions for Jesus. People have been healed from cancer. People have been broken out of addictions that have been bound. And when I look back, I could have stayed in my comfort zone in my 6,500-square-foot home where I was making a lot of money in D.C., but I left all of that like the rich young ruler because the destiny zone is on the opposite end of your comfort zone. Come on, somebody. Those, you have pastors here. They were in Minnesota. What did they do? They stepped out of their comfort zone because the de- comfort zone and the destiny zones are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Zacchaeus sees Jesus. What did he do? He climbed into a sycamore tree. And then the Messiah comes to his house. There was a woman who had the issue of blood. Think if she would have stayed in her comfort zone like, I can't go around the crowd. I've went to every physician. I've only grew worse. I've spent all the money that I had. But she went through the crowd of people and reached for the hem of his garment. And the Bible says she was made whole because the comfort zone and the destiny zone is on opposite ends of the spectrum. But what about Jesus? Jesus, it wasn't comfortable to go to the cross. Think about it. The Bible says for the joy that was set before him, he endured this uncomfortable, inconvenient situation because he loves us so much. And he went through this uncomfortable thing called Calvary so that we could be saved in the righteousness of God and healed right now because his destiny was on the opposite end of his comfort zone. Not even going to the cross, but getting out of heaven. He was the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He steps out of glory and puts on flesh uncomfortable to accomplish his destiny. Is this speaking to anybody on today? The boat is not the place that you're supposed to to stay in. You got to get outside of the boat. And so here's the key. Your comfort zone is not the destiny zone for your life. You've been been created to live beyond the boat. Everybody say beyond the boat, beyond the boat, beyond the boat. And And I hope that you can use that as common language, that you start in your small groups coming through growth track. Are you living beyond the boat? Are you living beyond the boat? Because we can be complacent. You know, we can. Like, I know Jesus. I read my Bible. But are you living beyond the boat? Are you living beyond the boat? Are you living, are you living the kind of life where you're carrying God's presence with you wherever you go? When you show up in the classroom, in the boardroom, does the atmosphere change? Are you living beyond, beyond the boat? And so what I believe, as I was praying for you, that God gave me three things that as a church, you guys can begin to step out of the boat in. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Come on, note takers. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. All right, number one, here's some things that you can live beyond your comfort zone in, stepping out of the boat. Number one, trusting God with your finances. Trusting God with your finances. Nobody said amen or nothing. It's okay. <laughs> now, here's the thing. It's going to take you getting out of your comfort zone to trust God. I'm specifically talking about the tithe and the offering, which is considered to be holy before God. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of love. And in order to obey God, especially when you don't have a lot working for you right now, is that you're going to have to get out of sight of your comfort zone and say, God, I trust you with the little that I have. Quick story. My wife and I, we got married in 1999, and at the time we had $100,000 of debt. And I'm not talking about good debt, like house loans. I'm talking about credit cards, school loans, wake you up in the middle of the night. I remember crying in the middle of the night because I did not know how to escape from this kind of debt. And so I remember when we first got married, our, our combined income, we'll be married 19 years on July the 3rd. Our first year of our marriage, our combined income was about $10,000, okay? 
And I remember um, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was, I was in business, but it was like having a bag with holes in it. I'd make a lot of money, spend a lot of money. I didn't know what to do. I came to a church, and somebody invited me to a church, and it was meeting on a Tuesday night, and I didn't even know people went to church on Tuesday night. I came because the people that invited me, they baked me a cake, and I like cake, so I came. And I'll never forget it, guys. This was in 2001, around September. There was a preacher, and I found out he was the pastor. I didn't know who the pastor was. He says this, and it's changed my life forever, and I'm hoping that this will change somebody's life that's here. He says, tithing and offerings is the one place in the Bible that God gives you, the believer, the opportunity to test him to see if his word won't work. I'm 22 years old, $100,000 of debt, and, I, and it bore witness with me. Now, I came up in the Baptist church, and I was taught not to test God. But he said it, and he also showed it to me in the Bible that this is an area that God himself says to prove me or to test me in it. 22 years old, you know, I'm kind of overachiever kind of person, so I was like, whatever, I tried to rest, I'm going to try the best. I, I started giving 20%. And I'm telling you, it was the hardest thing. It was so uncomfortable. I mean, we couldn't go out to eat. We couldn't buy coffee and everything. But about six months later, God began to bless. And I want you guys to hear this. <laughs> Between four or five years of me just obeying God, not just giving to God, but also living a holy life, coming to church, me being a God-first kind of person. Within four to five years, our combined income was over $700,000 for the year. Now, nobody's clapping but me. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. What I'm saying is this. I'm not saying that if you start giving to God, God's going to bring you into making $700,000. Some of you all make more than that. I get that. What I'm saying is that if you live for God, God will take care of you no matter what's happening in the marketplace. Now, over the last 18 years, I've seen new presidents. I've seen the economy go up and down. We've been through a recession, but the provision of God has always kept us constant. For 18 years, I have never robbed God, not one time. I've always, whatever he gives to me, I'm taking the first 10% plus, and I'm going to give it back to him. I'm going to give it back to him. And you remain under the continual blessing of God. I want to give you the scripture that, that changed me. It's in Malachi 3 and 10. Listen to this one, Malachi 3 and 10. It might make you uncomfortable, but that's my job. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me. Everybody shout, test me. <laughs> the King James says, prove me, test me. See if I won't, and watch what he says I'll do. Open you up the floodgates of heaven. Could y'all stand that in 2018, the floodgates of heaven, and pour out so much blessing and there ain't room enough to store it up? I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field won't drop its fruit before it's right, says the Lord. All nations will call you blessed and you'll be a delightsome land. Anybody receive that today? Put two hands up if you say I receive that. That comes on the opposite side of your obedience to God. You say, well, why would I give? Well, I give because it's worship. I give to honor God. I give to love God. You know, the Bible says where man's treasure is, that's where his heart is also. So it doesn't matter how much we sing to God. God looks how we steward the finances that are in our lives. And so he's waiting on you to step out of your comfort zone. People will say, well, pastor, I just don't have enough to give. That's not true. That's why it's a percentage. What you got to do is got to take God off the bottom of your budget and bring him to the top. And when you bring God to the top, you might say, I can't get that latte that's $6 right now, and I can't get my hair done and my nails done. But I tell you what, if you start to trust God, you'll own the nail salon, you'll own the coffee shop. God wants to, the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. But here's the thing. You say, why do I give? Because when you give, we can take that money and reach a bunch of lost people that are outside these doors. Now, I was downtown last night. I don't know if you noticed or not. Lawrence, y'all got a lot of lost people. That's good news for your church. That means God has a lot of work for you to do. What I want you to do is do this. 
take a 90-day tithing challenge. Just try it out. Just try it. Get out of your comfort zone just for 90 days and say, God, I'm going to test you with your word. And I'm telling you that I believe God will be so good to you in 90 days that you'll do it for the next 90 years. Put your hands together and give God praise. I believe it by faith. All right. Here's the second thing, getting out of your comfort zone, spending time with God daily. Please write that down. Now, I know that some of you all get a little too busy for Jesus. You love him, but you don't stay in his word and don't stay in his presence and in prayer. And I believe that God really wanted me to share with you today the importance of this relationship. I've been married for a while, and I'm telling you, if I go a couple of days without talking to my wife, the third day, it's almost like we don't know each other. There's something about daily communion. We do a thing at our church called the First 15, where I ask everybody in our church to give God the first 15 minutes of every day. It's the first fruit. If you give God the first, we believe the rest is going to be best, better. Five minutes of worship, five minutes of prayer, five minutes of the Word. Quick story, years ago when I first got into God's Word, I was 22 years old, and uh, somebody told me to start spending an hour a day with God. I didn't know this whole first 15 thing, so uh, what I did, I started spending an hour a day with God. I'm talking about it was the hardest hour in my life. I would start reading the Bible. I didn't know what it was talking about. I would be praying. I'd be falling asleep. I literally had to get a Bible and stand up so that I wouldn't fall asleep. That's how boring that I thought this was. But what I did not do was quit. I kept, you know, and it's amazing how a pain can turn into a pleasure if you just don't quit. The same thing that I thought was boring and not moving nothing actually became one of the greatest pleasures of my life, and an hour turned into two hours. Two hours turned into four hours. Four hours turned into a day. There would be times that I would spend 24 to 48 hours just alone with God. And a lot of what I preach right now, I got on my knees 18 years ago because I made up my mind to get out of my comfort zone and spend my time in his word. Does that help anybody today? And so I'm trying. All right. The last one, last one, the last one, last, last but not least, number three. All right. Here's get out of the boat. If you're ready, say I'm ready. I'm not a believer. I heard three people say it. I said, if you're ready, say I'm ready. I want you to get out of the boat with sharing your faith with others. Easter's on its way. Nobody said nothing. Easter's on its way. That's pity right there. It's pity. Okay. Listen, statistics show us that 88% of unchurched people will come to church if simply asked by a Christian. But statistics show us that only 3% of so-called Christ followers share their faith with the unchurched. Statistics, studies show us that Easter is the highest chance that you have for an unchurched person to come to church with you. All right? This is the month for you to share your faith. Now, let me ask you this. Has Jesus done anything in your life? Anybody here? Come on, let me see about show of hands. Has he been good to you at all? I mean, you were sick, but now you're healed. You were lost, but now you're found. You were, you were broken, but now you're put together. I mean, anything at all. Jesus done anything for you? Listen, he didn't save you just for you. He saved you so that you could save others. He didn't heal you just for you. He healed you so you could heal others. Whatever God has done for you, it wasn't for you. It was for him to do it in you so you could turn it around and do it in somebody else. Newsflash. Are y'all ready? Jesus is no longer preaching the gospel. He has commissioned us to do it. He is by the right hand of the Father forever making intercession on our behalf. And now he says, you go to the world, make disciples of all men. Meaning that we are the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of Jesus. And if we don't say nothing, ain't nothing happening. And so sometimes we can be in our comfort zone because that ain't my personality. You know me, I'm a self-confessed introvert. 
People think I'm an extrovert because I'm on stage. I actually get recharged by being by myself and reading a book. This is completely out of my personality. In college, I sat in the back of the class, but I'm called and I'm anointed, so I'm going to do what I got to do, out of my comfort zone. And I'm just telling you that you got to get out of your boat because there's people that you work with, that you live beside, that are going to hell. Hell is a real place. It is not a figment of narrow people's imagination. It is a place for people that want to pay for their own sins. And we have the answer. It's like if you had the answer for cancer, but you kept it to yourself. You have the answer for eternal death. You have the answer for the lake of fire. You have the answer for that. And the love of God has to compel you just like it compelled Jesus all day long to minister. It has to compel you. So when I came out of the restaurant, we was at some burger place. It was real fancy, by the way. It had all these special sauces. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And we came out of the burger place, and I saw two girls walk across the street. I'd be like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? I said, I'm Ken. I go, I'm coming to a great church tomorrow called Velocity. Have you heard of Velocity? Oh, yeah, we heard of it, but we go to this church. I said, no, you got to come to Velocity. Listen, if you can't be excited about your own church, you don't even know what's happening here. God's Spirit is here. You got two, two locations and hundreds of people are getting touched by the power of God. You need to use your social media to let people know to come. You need to use the bulletin at your workplace to let people know to come. Now is the time for the end time harvest of souls. Does anybody believe that? Quick story. I do not know how much time I got. Please help me. Nobody told me. I'm just going to preach all through all services. Okay. Um, so we do missions work with this um, missions organization called One Nation One Day. Um, we'd love for you guys to partner with it as well. I, your pastor knows about it. It's a great organization. Um, two years, four years ago, we went to Dominican Republic. Last year, we went to Nicaragua, and we saw 863,000 reached in one thousand people reached in one one week millions of dollars of medical supplies. I mean, we take the largest missionary team. We took 3,000 people with us. Anyway, next year, we're doing Peru. Peru. We want 5,000 missionaries to go with us, and we're wanting to see 5 million people come to Jesus in one week. All right? Now, here's the thing. So, we were in Naples, and we're planning out this whole Peru thing. We're, we're like, okay, we, they get with the presidents and the, the people of the nations. I mean, we believe that a nation can be saved in one day. It comes out of the book of Isaiah. And so anyway, um, there was a word of the Lord, just a prophetic word that came to the One Nation and One Day team through a guy named Lou Engel. And this was a couple of years ago. Listen to this. This is what he says. He says that the Lord is saying that when Brother Billy Graham dies, the mantle of evangelism that was on his life would now fall on a generation. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know about you. I want to end my race like he ended his race. He ended his race strong. Somebody say amen. And so he was 99 years old in like three months. And so the team is like, was that a real word from God or not? I mean, if he, he didn't die at 100 years old, he was 99 years in three months. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to somebody on the team. And this is what he said. He says that God doesn't count like men counts. God counts at conception. And if you were to do the math from conception till now, Billy Graham was exactly 100 years in the earth. Now, we believe that if that part of the word is true, the second part as well, that the mantle of evangelism that was on his life is now falling on a generation. It's here for anybody that wants it.
What is a mantle of evangelism? That is an end-time generation that ushers in an end-time harvest of souls. That we are not so self-consumed that we are smug in our Christianity, complacent, comfortable, and need everything to be convenient. But we will get out of the boat, we will get out of our comfort zone and begin to tell people about this, this Jesus that went to a rugged cross and he died for the sins of the world. The Muslim, the Buddhist, the atheist, the agnostic, all of them. He loves every single one of them. And we need to let this world know. Now, if you receive that, you got to start walking in that like, God, the same thing that's been prophesied, I receive it right now for our church, and I receive it for myself. 